From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon, Lita. Thank you. Well... I'm glad you're here. Our yes. listeners are glad you're here. And if you have to take a break, I'm just saying this because Derek's a little under the weather today. He's got a sinus infection. He does not have COVID. That's right. COVID's um, gone. and I'm, Well, I've had it, I think, but no longer part of COVID now. Right. It's just purely sinus We're infection. totally fine, but he may sound a little different on air for you, who, those of you who listen to all of his shows, like many of you do. But we appreciate you coming into the studio, Derek. All right, but before we begin the show, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Okay. Car crash. <laughs> that, that's the signal. We're ready to start. Right? Is that the uh, just the ominous uh, personal injury? <laughs> that's you know, it. that is the number one uh, probably incident that you represent. Right? Is car crashes? It's car, car wrecks. Car wrecks. Because right. there's more of them. I mean, right. that seems like it would be common of sense. Cases right? are car wrecks. Not slip and fall. No, no. Or dog bites or all those other kinds. What is second to car wrecks? That's a tough question. I could very well be. I mean, well, nowadays it's kind of evolving. It could also be nursing home negligence. It could be medical malpractice. Medical malpractice is among the top causes of death in the U.S. Wow. I did not know that. that. No, I did not realize that. At times it's been number one. And currently I couldn't tell you without looking the stat up, but uh, the number one, number two, number three, somewhere in that range cause of death in the U.S. is medical malpractice. You handle medical malpractice, yes, not I do. just car wrecks, correct? Because there are some personal injury attorneys that only handle car wreck claims, correct? Right, correct. And and the reality is there are differences in how those claims are handled, but ultimately it's the same basic thing. You're you're representing someone uh, in a medical malpractice case, for example, where it's a death. You're representing the family for the loss of their loved one because of the negligence of someone else. It's called a tort. A tort is a a harm caused by someone else that's not necessarily criminal in nature, but the law allows compensation, a civil remedy for what's happened. And nursing home negligence. Correct. You handle those cases as well. Correct. And car wrecks. And car wrecks. Anything. I know dog bites, slip and fall, that all falls under personal injury. Is there anything else? that? what, What am I missing? There are unusual kinds of cases that can happen. I mean, the reality is all kinds of ways people can be injured. I've had people that uh, were injured at, um, as an example, at a, uh, I can't say the, the business itself. Oh, but, uh, confidentiality. Uh, correct. Sure. Uh, say, for example, a retail store okay. where an employee goes to load some items onto the person's vehicle that they had purchased and the items were being carried by a forklift and the item slipped off the forklift and injured my client. 
so again, kind of an unusual situation. And there are others, but that's uh, just one example. So there are all kinds of ways you can be injured by the negligence of someone else. And the law does allow the remedy of, of being compensated financially for what's happened. Okay. I didn't realize we were going to talk about that, but it just struck yeah, that's okay. when we when it came up that you actually do more than just the car wrecks. So we sure. should mention that. That's Personal injury cases, they're, they're all kinds. I've handled, uh, as an example, some of the mass tort litigation, uh, some class action, uh, things of that nature where they call my office and I facilitate the contact between myself and the client and an attorney or an office that may be handling a specific uh, mass tort litigation kind of case or or, uh, um, you know, something, for example, uh, uh, the side saddle gas tanks. We think about that. That's a case that had to do with a Ford pickup truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one with a GM ignition switch would uh, uh, turn off. The, the car would be in motion and suddenly the ignition switch would disengage and the car would cut off. Uh, seat belt collapses, uh, mm-hmm. roof crushes, those kinds of things. Uh, many times, some of those are referred to as crash worthiness cases, but they can evolve into mass tort litigation or class action status. And so I do facilitate the contact between a client who calls my office and a firm that will handle those kinds of cases, uh, potentially if I don't. Okay. Well, you have covered several topics over the last few shows that have provided lots of information that most people would not know about personal injury claims. I know. Yeah, and that's the purpose. Of course it is. Yeah, I always say I'm I'm getting a law degree That's out of right. this show, right? And I know most people without are. all the reading, absolutely. <laughs> oh gosh, um, I've had you talk about that on air before. How much reading you did? It's unbelievable. All right, so that is oh, that is definitely one of the strengths of this show: the education that you were bringing to all of us, and the knowledge and the expertise. And we thank you for that. Uh, I have talked to several people that have listened, and the common thread, the common input is: I never knew about some of the things that Dare discusses you yeah. never knew about most of the things that Derek discusses <laughs> is probably a better well, way to say it yes and, and that's true with people that call the office you know they'll call for an initial consultation which by the way is always free and it's amazing the questions they ask and 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 giving the answers the response I get from so many people sure they didn't realize I own a retail business and I'm in front of a lot of people and I don't know if it's my personality where people just want to talk to me I'm very I, I think I have that way about me people like and this is not about me hang on here let me let me <laughs> get to where I'm going with this story you're very captivating yeah you're, you're, well you're I didn't say engaging. that you did no, I will um, <laughs> say that. absolutely but I I have handed out your card and I I do it not to say call him it's, it's almost uh because I want to help People like to tell me, oh, I've been in a car wreck. Oh, I've had this happen. A a friend of mine just came in injured from something. And I said, you know, even if this doesn't lead to anything, just get some advice. And and I think that's why this show is so captivating, because you're giving people the advice. And I've even told people, go listen to his podcast, because you're going to get so much out of this. And we have a lot of listener questions today. Yes, we do. You you have a place on your podcast, and we're going to get to that at the end of the show, where people can submit questions. And so some of these questions have come from listeners, and some of these are just the most common questions that you get. But we're going to go through all of these, correct? Yes. Um, but back up to the top, this show, like you tend to make sense out of things that non-lawyers sometimes don't understand about the law. That I'm the layperson. 
right? And that's yes. why this has become so popular. Yeah, and that's right? true. In fact, uh, I've heard the phrase many times. I've even used the phrase, the law and common sense don't typically work together. Right. So sometimes you think the common sense response is what you could give to a situation. But in reality, the law is completely different from what common sense may tell you. A lot of times, even on the show, you've quoted the law. Like, you'll bring in the actual yes. paragraph and you'll the read it to us. And, right. Sometimes you even have it memorized. And uh, when you say it, it it helps us make so much more sense out of it. It's, right, it's right. unbelievable. All right, so we're going to dig into some of these questions, okay? And here's the first one. Do all car insurance companies handle personal injury cases the same way? The short answer is no. Now, there's a lot longer answer to that, but the reality is, let's kind of take an example. Think about the big boys. State Farm, Allstate, Liberty Mutual, Progressive, Geico, USAA, there are probably one or two others you can throw on that list. Farmers? Uh, not in the grand scheme of things, at okay. least in the state of Georgia. Now, this will vary from state to state okay. because some states do have a larger presence with other insurance companies. Uh, but let's also take some smaller companies that still do business but in many states, but not quite as much business as State Farm, Allstate, Liberty Mutual, Progressive, Geico, USAA. Think about the commercials. Those are the ones that tend to dominate the airwaves. Uh-huh. So most of the big boy insurance companies, for example, have attorneys on staff, staff counsel. So when you litigate a case, it's not necessarily going to cost them any more money because those attorneys are already on staff. They'll just simply walk down the hallway from the adjuster's office to the attorney's office potentially and say, tag, you're it. Here's the file. They filed suit. Whereas if you take a smaller insurance company, and there are many, Alpha, Maristar, Farmers potentially, others, the Farm Bureaus, uh, those companies don't typically have attorneys on staff. They don't have staff staff counsel. So if you do litigate a case, they may have to go out and pay a billable rate to an attorney to be able to defend that case. And it may motivate them to potentially resolve the case a little quicker, a little more favorably than some of the other big boy insurance companies may. Uh, State Farm developed a computerized system several years ago called Colossus to evaluate personal injury claims. There are probably some good things about it, but as a plaintiff's attorney, we don't tend to like Colossus. Uh, as an example, the human factor is not really something that can be determined by a computer. Meaning that if you took someone who's, say, in their mid to late 80s or 90s, someone who is, you know, I, not everybody in their 80s or 90s may be this way, but somebody that may be more feeble than someone else, someone who's, uh, you know, the wear and tear on the body for that many years, who's in a very significant car wreck, a major impact, and you compare that person's injuries to someone who's, say, an Olympic athlete in their 20s in tip-top shape in that same car wreck, well, you can't say that that tip-top athlete, the one who's in their 20s, is going to still, or going to feel those injuries or sustain the same kinds of injuries as someone who's much older. Now, Colossus doesn't really look at those kind of things. The human factor is not in there. Wow. What Everything's kind of reduced to a But I'm thinking of that exact, point. that specific example. So what if somebody in their 20s as an athlete, Olympic athlete, they lost their ability to be a part of their career? Yeah. That, like that, what again, if that they had a back injury and they could no longer be a track star? Sure, exactly. But right? that, again, that's why the difficulty comes when larger insurance companies take tactics in resolving claims or attempting to resolve claims, evaluate claims, that uh, you know it becomes a let's read the company handbook, let's drink the company mm-hmm. Kool-Aid, and let's follow exactly what we're supposed to do, as opposed to really and truly listening to the facts of the claim and understanding where that plaintiff lies in their life and in their experience and being able to truly understand how that injury has affected them 
personally. And, you know, if it's a death, for example, in Georgia, and again, we're here in Georgia, the measure of a wrongful death case is the economic value of life. How do you determine the economic value of life for a two-year-old child that has not finished school, obviously, not gone to college, not been in the middle of a career, as opposed to someone who's, say, in their 40s or 50s and the the tip-top level of their career, they're making the most money they've made in their life, they're successful, they're seeing six-figure, high six-figure, even seven-figure salaries that that two-year-old could very well have achieved at some point in their life, but economically, how do you do that? How do you Mm -hmm. determine that? And I'm not going to go too far into this, but there are ways to employ an economist, and we do that, to be able to project out the potential earning capacity of that two-year-old child. Wow. You could, but I, you could go a lot deeper. Yeah, I can yeah, tell there's I've a lot more there. Kind of gotten a little bit sidetracked, but to answer the core question again, do all car insurance companies handle claims the same? The answer is no, they don't. Uh, it takes me, an attorney, to be able to present your facts in the best light possible for that insurance adjuster to stop towing the company line, stop drinking the company Kool-Aid, and truly understand what happened. It's a lot easier to do that potentially with a smaller insurance company than some of the big boys that really don't care. You know, when you'd say to an adjuster, I'm going to file suit, sometimes the response is, okay, as opposed to, well, let's see if we can mm-hmm. still in good faith work this out and get it resolved. Um, so it, it, you're going against a billion-dollar industry, multi-billion dollar, maybe trillion-dollar industry when you talk about insurance companies. So uh, it's a drop in the bucket to think about the amount of money they spend to defend a case where that same amount of money could very well have settled that case. They just, for whatever reason, won't do it sometimes. Do you want to tell all our listeners your favorite and which one they should be with? No. No, (laughs) just kidding. No, I will stay away from that. (laughs) I will never endorse an insurance company. You're not going to take the bait on that hook? No, I'm teasing. (laughs) There are some that are better than others. I Uh will say that, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to endorse an insurance company. Mm -hmm. uh, But most plaintiff's attorneys that have been doing this, I've been doing it now for 25 years, most attorneys know who those companies are that tend to be easier to deal with and more favorable in resolving claims. All right. Do personal injury firms handle cases the same way? Again, the answer is no. No. I say that because there are firms that most of the time you're not dealing with the attorney. You're dealing with a case manager. You're dealing with a paralegal. You're dealing with someone who handles the day-to-day operation of that case. And we, we laugh and joke about it in my office. We call it the attorney dust. The attorney who rarely ever sees the file, rarely even, ever even knows the names of their clients, they walk by and pick it up and sprinkle their attorney dust on it and say, okay, this is what you need to do. And it's not the attorney calling the client. It's not the attorney advising the client. It's not the attorney having the discussion with the client or answering the client's questions. It's the case manager. It's the paralegal. And ultimately, my, my position on this, my opinion of this is, as an attorney, it's my job to understand exactly what's going on in my client's life, to know. I can't ask the questions uh, without being on the phone with them. I can't hear their responses and ask the appropriate follow-up questions without talking to them on the phone. If they reference um, you know, something that they deal with on a daily basis in their life that somebody else may not, I need to know about that. If they care for an elderly parent, or they have a disabled child, someone who is in the household that requires them to do things that most other people may not have to do, but yet it affects them more than it does others when they are injured you know, from a car wreck, for example, to have to do those kind of things. I want to know that. I want to be able to be a zealous advocate for my client 
And I've said this before, I want to paint the best picture possible of exactly what those injuries have done to my client and why their case is worth the appropriate amount of money that I'm going to go after. But a case manager is not an attorney, not someone who has the legal education, not someone who can even file suit. It's someone who works for an attorney and simply takes the direction from the attorney to handle the case, but yet the client is more in tune and in, in contact and communicating with that case manager, but never even with the attorney. I can say this, I don't know if you can, that I would be leery if I hired an attorney and I only spoke with the case manager. Oh, absolutely. That's my advice, right? right? Knowing right. what I know, I would say, hey, if I've called and I only get a case manager, every, you know, every phone call I get back, um, I would be real concerned that now, your attorney this. is not really diving into your case. I have gotten calls before from people who are currently with another law firm, uh, and they'll call me because they're frustrated, they're upset, they're angry. They're not getting their calls returned. They're not getting answers. They feel like they're not being represented appropriately. For whatever reason, they're, they're making the decision to change the attorney that they have been with and go with another law firm. And it's interesting because some of those people, when I ask them, well, okay, what firm are you with? And they'll tell me. I say, well, who's your attorney? And the response is, well, I don't really know. I only talk to the case manager. I don't know who my attorney is. So that's a perfect example yeah. of what you're saying. They they may never have even known the name of the attorney who's signing all the letters that go out of the office because they never talked to them. They've never been introduced to them. And they may never even meet them the entire course of the claim because it's the case manager that does the work. So like an insurance company will take the claim and the person and very black and white. It seems like yeah, sign in a name and number and I'm going to put you in my system and, and just down through we're going to go through. Um, it almost seems like that would be the same for some personal injury firms. Right. My problem with that is every case is different. There is no such thing as a cookie cutter personal injury claim. I've heard attorneys say that before. It's a cookie cutter case. No, there's no such thing. Every single person is different. Apples are apples and oranges are oranges. You cannot compare just because somebody's diagnosed with the same symptoms, same injuries as someone else. Uh, you can't compare what that's done to those people and make it the same. You, you can't. So again, if it's a cookie cutter case in the eyes of an attorney, they're not being a zealous advocate for their client. They're not representing their client's interest. All right. Next question. This uh, came through your website. I was in a wreck with my friend and we were both hurt. They hired an attorney to handle their claim and I decided to try settling my case without one. I was able to settle mine about the same time that they settled their claim. Their settlement was only about $2,000 more than mine, but they wound up with a lot more money in pocket. How did that happen, even though they had to pay their attorney? I like this question when I got it. Uh, and that's why I included it in the, the questions for today. There are many answers to that, questions, uh, that question. And, and again, I can't give specific legal advice to someone unless I actually represent them. So I have to kind of answer this in general terms. And also, too, they didn't give me all the facts. So a lot of this is going to be some speculation and some assumption. But I think it's pretty safe speculation and assumption. There are really two jobs that we have as an attorney. Number one is to take the facts of the claim and maximize the value of those facts in a settlement that is the highest we can get to compensate our client. That's number one. Number two, once the case is settled, then 
It's to go back and address that settlement in such a way to maximize the dollars in pocket, whether it's negotiating medical expenses or utilizing what we call collateral sources to step in and pay some of the medical bills. MedPay, for example, we've talked about MedPay on a prior show. MedPay is kind of like health insurance on your car. It can be used to step in and pay your medical bills up to your MedPay limits. And the good news is you don't have to reimburse MedPay. So that in and of itself is a way to maximize the money in pocket. Uh, utilizing health insurance or Medicaid or Medicare or Peach Care or Peach State, any of those programs that may be available as an attorney, even though the settlement amount was relatively close to apparently what this person that wrote the question got, the attorney was likely able to take that settlement amount and spread that money a lot better than the person was able to do on their own. They may not have the leverage necessary to negotiate with a provider, with a hospital, with a doctor's office, with a physical therapist, with a chiropractor, where the attorney can and the attorney can do that in such a way to, again, maximize the dollars in pocket for the client. So the, the question you've asked gives me some information, but not all the information. My guess is there was med pay or health insurance that some of the medical expenses were negotiated down that you may not have known how to do that or what process is necessary to get that done where an attorney can do that. And statistically, our insurance commissioner puts out numbers uh, to address the same kind of thing. And currently, those uh, claims that are represented by attorneys wind up, I think it off the top of my head, it's 47% more money in pocket than someone wow. who does not That's have That's a big attorney. number. Oh, it's huge. Right. So people have the misconception that, mm -hmm. well, okay, fine. If I hire an attorney, they're going to take the vast majority of my money. No, the answer is no statistically, they're going to put more money in your pocket. Right. They're going to negotiate the bills down, and where address, I would think a hospital wouldn't even want to speak to just a lay person. Well, even, even more than that, they're going to know how to maximize the value to begin with with the insurance company and maximize the compensation from mm -hmm. State Farm, Allstate, Liberty Mutual, Progressive, whichever company it may be, by arguing the points, they're going to add value to that claim. Also, too, kind of on a side note, as a layperson, you can threaten to file suit in state court or superior court all day, but the reality is you can't. Only an attorney wow. can. So you can file suit in magistrate okay. court, but we've kind of addressed we that did. in a prior show. That was show. a prior show. You're going to cap your damages. You're going to eliminate the, the right to have a jury, at least in that trial. You can also, too, uh, look to face an attorney on the other side and an appeal, which is going to kick you into state court or superior court, and then you're going to have to hire an attorney anyway. So there are difficulties in trying to handle a case on your own. And unfortunately for the person that wrote this question, clearly they didn't know what needed to be done to maximize money in pocket. And I hope they're listening because it means they've listened prior if they knew where to send their question right, exactly. to. So you should have called. Kind of after the fact. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. Next question. Once I settled my case, I received a letter from my health insurance company demanding that I reimburse them for the medical bills they paid after my wreck. Why is that fair? Aren't they supposed to pay my bills? This is a common question I get all the time. Okay. Probably three or four times a week. I mean, it, it's really? that common. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it comes from clients that are currently you know, working with me, but also, too, with people kind of like this one that was submitted on my website. Um, all right, let's, let's start with the basics. So... Your health insurance plan is what we call a third-party carrier, okay? 
this is a third party liability claim. When you've been injured by someone else's negligence, let's take a car wreck, for example, that person hit you, that person hurt you, that person required you to now take an ambulance to the hospital and some follow-up care. So that person and their car insurance coverage is now the primary responsible party for your injuries. And that's to compensate you for those bills that you've incurred to then use that money to pay those bills. Your health insurance plan kind of sits on the sidelines. It's a collateral source. It's a third party that's out there that did not cause the car wreck. Your injuries were not caused by them. They were caused by the person driving the other vehicle. Health insurance is intended typically to take care of things that were not caused by the negligence of somebody else. Uh, think of changing a light bulb at home and you fall off a ladder. Falling downstairs at home, which I did that myself. Yes, you did. Yes, and that was very painful. Uh, I didn't cause that. No, you didn't. No, no you didn't. All right, think <laughs> about things like, uh, you know, tragic things like uh, cancer or Aww. diabetes, those right, kinds of things. That's right. what health insurance is intended to take care of, okay. things that were not caused by someone sure. else's negligence. So when your health insurance plan receives your bill from your hospital visit after a car wreck, and it's coded to show that it was result result of a car wreck, they can and many times will reject that bill and not pay it because they're not the primary responsible party. They're going to reject it because it's a third-party liability bill. A third party is responsible for what happened and therefore on the hook for paying it. But let's assume your health insurance plan goes ahead and pays the bill. They pay your hospital bill. They pay your ambulance bill. They pay your doctor's bill. They even pay for your physical therapy. And then they find out that this was a result of a car wreck. At that point, they have the right to seek what we call subrogation. Subrogation is just a fancy legal term that means, to sum it up, kind of they have the right to, to seek reimbursement for the most part for what they've paid. We paid, say, $5,000 in bills. You received a settlement from the at-fault driver that caused your injuries. You now have to reimburse us from that money you received from the other party. Now, the key to that is the language in your health insurance plan. If they have the appropriate language in their plan, then yes, you do have to reimburse that. If they do not have the appropriate language in the health insurance contract you have with Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, Kaiser, United Healthcare, any of the plans that are out there, if they don't have the appropriate language in your policy, you do not have to reimburse them. Period. So far too often, people that don't have attorneys, we call it nasty grams. They'll get a nasty gram from their health insurance saying, we paid $5,000 in your medical bills after your car wreck. You now owe us the reimbursement for that five grand. We want to be subrogated for the 5,000 we've paid. And far too often, people don't know what to look for, wow. the case law, the code sections, and they'll simply write a check for five grand that they could have kept in their pocket because according to their contract with the health insurance company, they didn't have to pay it back. So as an attorney, as your attorney, I get your health insurance plan. I find out whether or not you have to pay that back. So the person that wrote this question, it says, I received a letter from my health insurance company demanding that I reimburse them. You may not have had to pay them back. You may have sent them a check, I'm assuming you did, that you could have kept in your pocket and avoided having to reimburse that. So do you grab the health insurance right off the bat? I mean, do you know yeah, that oh, yeah, these yes. bills are coming? This is all part of 
settling the case and 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 helping someone it's part of the standard file opening okay. i always right uh, at the beginning sure absolutely I, I get a copy of their insurance card their health insurance card we send a letter to them a certified letter to put them on notice that we're representing them as a result of a car wreck and to require them to send a copy of the policy language so by the time the case is eventually settled, I already have the contract, I already have the language, and I already know whether or not I've got to pay them back. And it's interesting, too, it do, doing this as long as I have, you can usually tell whether or not you have to reimburse the health insurance company based on how quickly you get their response. Really? Think about that. Well, yeah, so no, it makes sense. you're a health insurance sense. company and you know for a fact mm-hmm. that your language is in there and they're required to reimburse, it's going to take maybe a couple of weeks, but you're going to get that letter saying, here's our language. Yeah, you got to pay us back. But if it's a health insurance plan that they don't have the language in there and reimbursement is not required, subrogation is not there, it's kind of interesting. We have to make the follow-up calls. Hey, we requested this on this date. You signed for the certified letter on this date. We still have yet to receive it. That's because they don't want to send it. Oh. They realize, uh-huh. eh, okay, fine, we're not going to get it I'm back. I'm surprised so. it's not standard. I really am in it, every policy. Well, again, not to get too deep, but most of the plans that require reimbursement are part of what we call ERISA plans. ERISA is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act from 1974. Getting real deep in it. Yes, you are. So That's if it's okay. an ERISA Keep plan, going. yeah, if it's an ERISA plan, it does require reimbursement most of the time. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. If it's Medicaid, Medicare, they get it back. That that's an absolute. You've got to reimburse them. Tricare, which is also FEBA. I mean, I'm sorry. Also, uh, um, uh, oh, Tricare was um, oh shoot the prior military insurance plan, uh, and then FEBA is the Federal Health Employee Benefit Act. So those are ones that typically require reimbursement. We know off off the bat. Everybody writing that down. Yeah, it's the private yeah. health insurance plans. We have to dig deeper. Okay. Well, great question. Great answer. Thank you very, very much. All right. How long after my car wreck should I expect my case to take before it settles? Can I answer this right off the bat? Yeah, go ahead. It oh, depends. I'm curious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. Yes, you got an A+. Plus. The answer is yes, it, it depends. depends. And again, apples are apples, oranges are oranges. Let's take, for example, someone who has a a uh, very minor, in the grand scheme of things, impact, a rearing collision, for example, at a stoplight or a stop sign. And they have some neck and back injuries. They go through some very brief physical therapy, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, and they're released. Well, that's going to be a fairly quick turnaround as soon as the medical records and bills are available to send a demand and negotiate with the insurance company. On the other hand, we have times when people have major surgeries. They have extensive surgery. They have follow-up physical therapy. They may have long-term injuries that will require even more than two years to treat. And there are times when I've had to file suit to be able to protect the statute of limitations, even though my client was still treating, simply because their injuries were that bad. They're catastrophic. They're uh, life-changing injuries. So the answer is, is it does depend if it's just a run-of-the-mill car wreck with very little treatment. It can turn around within a couple of months, maybe a few months. Uh, but that's also, too, contingent upon how quickly the adjuster responds. You know, I always joke about some insurance companies, the adjusters work at two speeds. It's slow and stop. And you got to kick them from that stop position and the slow position just to get them to respond to a letter. So sometimes you're a victim of who the adjuster is and how quickly they respond. Sometimes it's a matter of how quick the medical records get to us. But my objective in my office is once we've got your records and bills in, within 24 hours, we have your demand letter out the door. I don't want your holdup to be based on an attorney dragging their feet. We don't want to do that. We're not going to do that. 
uh, kind of going back to the case manager issue earlier, sometimes that's a pitfall that can happen. If it's not being managed and watched over and, and handled by an attorney, then a case may have been ready for a demand that's been sitting there for several weeks simply because the person who's got it's not up on it. Also, treating, right? It, yeah. I think that would you could be ready to settle, but maybe the doctor's not ready. They're still treating. That you know, maybe it's not once a week at a chiropractor, but it's once a month, right? And sure. that could drag it out. I mean, it could be really on the um, the, it, the person. Right. The you know, what do you um, the client? The client. So why did that word just slip my brain? I'm sorry. I, I use this quite frequently, and that is my job is to not practice medicine. My job is to practice law. I tell clients, you know your body better than anybody else. You know how you're hurting, where you're hurting, and when you're hurting. And it's your job to explain that to your doctor, who is the one responsible for taking care of those injuries. They've got the training. They've got the experience. They've got the knowledge to do it. And between you and your doctor, it's collectively your decision to make as to when you're ready to be released. But a lot of times, I think people want you to be their doctor. Oh, right? Yeah. They oh, want oh, yeah. you to either clear them yes, before yes. they're cleared or yeah. tell them this or send me here or, right? I mean, I, I think calls, you get put in yes. the middle a lot. I get calls frequently. Well, and, and, and sometimes it goes both ways. I, I could get a call from a client saying, well, the doctor's telling me I need to come for four or five more weeks, but I think I'm fine. My answer is, well, you think you're fine and you're ready to be released. I'm not here to practice medicine, but you need to discuss that with your doctor and the two of you need to make that decision. And then I'll have people that say, my doctor's ready to release me, but I'm still hurting. Yeah. What can it I can do? It could go both ways. So, sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. And I could see if you've been out of work, we've talked about all the lost wages and different things. Correct. Um, I know if I got injured in a car wreck, I'm self-employed. So that would really affect me. It becomes extremely I difficult. would want to hurry up and get through treatment because I need my settlement, right? right, I've, right. I haven't been working for six weeks. This is hypothetical, but I could see rushing that for right. the sake of um, needing the money. And unfortunately... Uh, it's sad to say, but even though short-term disability and long-term disability insurance coverage is available, not many people have it. Not many people either have the disposable income to add to you know, their insurance money they're paying for their car, their home, everything else in their life, to then have to pay for a short, short-term or long-term disability plan to cover them in case they are injured in something like this. All right. I think we have time for one last question. All right, I'm going to go. This was also sent in to your podcast tab. Uh, so this came from one of our listeners. Several years ago, I had a friend that went to trial on a personal injury case. I was told that the jury gave them a very low verdict, but they were able to get more money from the insurance company than what the jury gave them. How can that possibly happen? I'm glad you skipped ahead to this question because there were a few others between the last one and this one, and I'm glad you did because this one is one I wanted to yeah, definitely address Yeah, this one's really important, okay. and, I, and I feel like um, the gentleman that wrote it in, Matthew, I, I feel like he's listening, so I wanted to get to <laughs> yeah. this one. Well, I, I, I want to put you on the spot for a minute. Me? Okay. So do you have any idea? You don't have to say, but do you have any idea how that could happen? No, no. Okay. No, most, most I, people I really don't. don't. Um, most people you put don't. me on the spot, and I, I don't. Right. Most people don't. And, and here's, again, there's some assumption in this. There's some speculation in this answer, but I think this is likely what he's referring to. So let, let's kind of take this in parts. Several years ago, I had a friend that went to trial. So there was an actual trial and a personal injury claim. Uh, I was told that the jury gave them a very low verdict. Let's say $1,000. I'm just creating some facts here. Okay. 
but they were able to get more money from the insurance company than what the the uh, jury gave them. Let's say $100,000. So it's a verdict for $1,000, but yet the insurance company paid them $100,000. Again, I'm just creating facts. Sure. So my brain, even when I read the question, instantly went to why would they ever pay more if they were ordered by the court to only pay a certain amount? Okay. Why on earth would you get more money? Jury returns a verdict, $1,000, right. but yet the, the plaintiff walks out with a check for 100000 Okay, here's why. In the mediation process, mediation is referred to as an alternative dispute resolution. Uh, it's an attempt to resolve a case without actually going to trial. And in the future, I'm going to have a very good friend of mine come as a guest to discuss more in depth about mediation, arbitration, things of that nature. So in mediation, and again, this is an assumption, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption, the parties come together, the defense and the plaintiff, and they sit around a table and they present their cases and then they separate into different rooms. And the mediator's job is to go back and forth between the rooms to try and come with a, to a resolution of the case, somehow, some way get this case settled. They may never agree on a dollar amount, a specific dollar amount. Let's say, for example, the plaintiff is, stu is stuck at $500,000 and the defendant is saying, we're not paying more than $100,000. And both parties just cannot get that case settled. Not going to happen. At that point, the mediator can suggest a high-low agreement. A high-low agreement is where they know they're going to wind up going to trial. They know they're never going to get to the point where they agree on a dollar amount. In a high-low agreement, both parties have to agree to this, they agree to a dollar amount that's going to be the maximum high amount, verdict amount, that the defendant would ever have to pay. Likewise, they agree to a minimum low verdict amount that the defense will ever have to pay. Regardless of what the jury verdict is, you're automatically going to get either the minimum if it's below that minimum, or you're going to get the maximum if the verdict is higher than that maximum. So my assumption is they had a high-low agreement from the mediation where the low amount was $100,000. So that when they went to the jury and the jury returned the verdict for $1,000, you know, the example I created, it automatically converted to $100,000. So it could be that that case, in the eyes of the plaintiff, had a value of, say, $500,000. And the low was $100,000. The high may have been $300,000 or $200,000. Mm -hmm. So if the verdict had been $500,000, the plaintiff automatically, that verdict would have reverted back to the high number, which, say, for example, is $200,000. So the jury returns a verdict for $500,000, automatically it becomes a $200,000. So they could wind up with way it, less. It could wind up Ooh, hurting you I or see. it could wind up helping you. So it's all a calculation of risk. And that's what attorneys have to do. It's what insurance companies do. You're calculating risk. Do you have to set a high-low? No, you don't. Both parties... I don't. I, I, I'm not in a case, but, but, <laughs> like, but I don't want one. That's think, scary. Think, think about this, though. Think about... And, and again, I'm, I'm assuming some facts here, but let's even take it out of this question, for example. Let's say that there's a potential dispute as to how the wreck occurred, that you feel pretty confident you can prove that the the other driver was truly at fault in this wreck, but there are five witnesses that point fingers at that driver. And let's say that there's another witness who happened to be at the same intersection where the collision occurred that points a finger at you. And there's a chance that a jury may get confused, may put more weight on that individual witness, and ultimately you walk out with a big fat zero. We find in favor of the defendant simply because they blame you for the wreck, or they say the wreck's 50-50. At that point, the high-low agreement guarantees you, if it were 100000 low, a $100,000 verdict. 
You see what I mean? I see what you mean. So again, you've you there are times when, and I've had high low agreements before. I've, it's it's every attorney that's done this for any period of time. You've at some point had a high low agreement. Thankfully, knock on wood, I've I've always had that work in my favor. Uh, but and many times the verdict winds up somewhere in that range. You may have a high of three hundred thousand, a low of a hundred thousand, and you get a verdict of two hundred thousand. Well, then they pay the verdict of two hundred thousand. Because that verdict was within it that was range. within sure. But if that verdict had been fifty thousand, automatically you're getting a hundred grand. Okay. But the downside would be if that verdict were five hundred thousand. Well, guess what? You're, you're not going five. down to three. Correct. So oh, okay. if you do a high low agreement, you've got to think long and hard about it. And there are times when it is beneficial for either side or both sides. So again, th- this is a great question, mm-hmm. and I can understand how there would be confusion. If somebody says, "Well, I got a verdict of five thousand, but I walked out with a sure. check for a hundred, that would be a hard pill to swallow. It, it really would. I feel like, as an attorney, you would explain that and explain it and explain it. I, I feel like that's one that, no matter how many times you explain it, you would keep explaining it because they wouldn't like it. Right, right. Well, if it worked out not in their favor, sure. And if a client truly understands that there is a legitimate risk, they may lose their case. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no guarantee. A jury can do some wonderful things. But unfortunately, a jury can do some very bad things at times. So with that being said, if there's absolutely no guarantee of a verdict to where it should be or in a range that that is uh, going to truly compensate my client and, and the, the facts line up to where a high-low is a good decision, you know, I'm going to let them make the decision. I don't make the decision for the client. I educate, explain, and answer questions. But ultimately, they have to make that decision. And if they do decide and, and they agree to a high-low, you know, eventually the case may settle still anyway before trial. But if you go to trial, you know as an absolute fact the day you walk in that courtroom, you're going to leave that courtroom after the trial's over and done with with at least X number of dollars in pocket, whatever that low amount may be. Even if the jury said, no, we're giving you zero, you're still going to walk out with X number of dollars. So that's probably what this question mm-hmm. refers to. And I liked it when I saw the question. I thought, oh, okay. Somebody, great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody. Absolutely. They they heard somebody tell the story, but really didn't understand what went into it. And that's the answer. That's the answer. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for everybody for writing in these questions. Derek, I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell everyone listening if something you've said has sparked a question or that if they have one that they would love to ask an attorney, tell them uh, how to submit them to you. Absolutely. Reach out to me on my website. My website is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew, Hayes, H-A-Y-S, so DerekMHayes.com. On my website, you'll see a chat feature that pops up. You can submit a question directly there. Chat directly with my office. We'll be more than happy to answer your questions. You can submit an email to me directly. I will be the one to respond. I will generally call and discuss your email with you uh, about a potential new case. And again, the initial consultation is always free. So I'll be happy to discuss it with you. And if I can help you, I'll be happy to take the case on. There also, too, is a podcast tab. With the podcast tab, you can click on that and submit a question directly to the podcast. Again, we have a few more we didn't get to today, which I think we have next show already set up. We've got more right. questions. We'll keep going. So but send some more questions. Yeah, and it, it's wonderful. I love the questions I get. Now, remember, I cannot give specific legal advice to you, but I can answer in general terms, as I usually do, regarding those questions you pose. So go to my website. You can also check out my social media, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes on uh, Instagram as well as Facebook, and then my phone number. 
My phone number is 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. I feel like you're starting to lose your voice here at the end of the show. I'm getting close. Sinus All right. Well, I'm going to take over and do our closing. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And joining us on the Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X. Thank you.